0: Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Greg McEwen, and I am here with you on this journey to learn, to see if we can't figure out how to make the highest contribution with our lives. Have you ever met someone who made a disproportionate impression upon you? You didn't have conventional conversations with them. Instead, it was something more meaningful, even life-changing. Well, in today's episode, part one of a two-part interview with Ron Johnson, Ron describes specific moments and conversations that he had with Steve Jobs. Ron Johnson was formerly the Senior Vice President at Apple. He was responsible for the creation of the retail Apple stores, as well as the Genius Bar. If you've ever been to an Apple store, if you've ever been to the Genius Bar, Ron Johnson has impacted your life. But in this episode, we learn about how Steve Jobs impacted his life. By the end of this episode, you'll have insights into that key relationship, but also insights into how to make conversations memorable and build relationships that matter at work or at home. Let's get to it. Subscribe to this podcast so that you can make it effortless to receive new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you... Cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
1: All right. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. Welcome to another fine episode of the Paint and Pipette podcast. This one is an incredibly special episode because it's jointly hosted by my great friend, Greg McEwen, the two-time New York Times best-selling author who is also a former teaching instructor with me at the Stanford D School. Greg and I are thrilled to get to invite to the stage today, Ron Johnson and Ron is an accomplished executive with innumerable qualifications. Today we wanted to invite Ron to focus on his relationship and some key moments with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a leader whom both Greg and I admire deeply, and Ron is one of the very special individuals who's had the chance to work with Steve over many years. So we are really looking forward to this conversation. Fellow Steve Jobs junkies, welcome. We're glad to be with you. And Ron, thank you for joining us today.
2: Well, it's my pleasure, Jeremy and Greg. It'll be a fun conversation, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, let's go right to the beginning. I mean, Ron, you have been one of the very key members of the Apple Mafia in building this, this tremendous company, and I think it either could not have been done without you or would look very different if it had not been for your involvement. And I just wonder if you could go back to your beginning with Steve and your onboarding or how he managed to get you to come and join Apple in the first place at a time when Apple wasn't what it is when people think of the company today.
2: Yeah, well, Apple would be a great company without me. Don't have any question about that. But hopefully I left the little mark when I was there for a dozen years. Oh, certainly. I was about turning 40 and I had made a decision to be a retail guy. I was working at a company in Minneapolis called Target, we all know, and Target was flourishing. The stock had gone up a dozen times in the last eight years or something like that. And I was one of the merchandising leaders who had really put design on the map for the Target. Reinforcing Target's Target, this really cool place. And and Steve had concluded, unbeknownst to me, that if Apple had any chance to win, it had to control the customer experience. Now, he had come back to Apple in 97, launched the iMac, that's what I noticed. I mean, that iMac was a beautiful product when that came out, yes. huge impact on the world of merchandising everything. But three years later, the market share was still really small. And so Steve wanted to open stores. And someone reached out to me.
0: Which, by the way, that's not obvious that he would have wanted to do that. It wasn't like there were yeah. lots it, it of other like tech stores Steve. at the time that were working and thriving. You had some pretty big fails, in fact, that you see out there. Yeah, so, it was yeah, completely
2: go ahead. counterintuitive because, remember, in 2000 was the peak of the dot-com boom. Everything's going to the Internet. and in and the peak, bricks and mortar. And Apple had less than 5% market share. We all... People owned PCs back then. And it was Dell. Dell was winning with their online model. And there was one retailer you might remember called Gateway. Lots exactly. of funny stories about Gateway. But they had 300 stores. But they couldn't make their stores work serving the 95%. Yes. And people said, well, how is Apple, who really serves a creative pro with super expensive products, going to make retail work? Why would they do that? when the world's going online. Mark Andreessen about that year announced, stores are dead.
0: In the future, we won't go to stores. And so he reaches out to you. Yep. And he calls you, he emails- No, I had, like, what's he the hired a recruiter. Okay, so a recruiter uh, to to comes identify to
2: identify who could do this job. And from my understanding, there were about four or five people they were talking to.
0: I was- Do you young know who the them? other people were?
2: No, I don't know them. I, I yeah. think I heard their names at some point, but I didn't. Sure. Okay, most of them were like senior they were like ceos of companies Yes. Yeah. i was this guy who was identified because of work i'd done at target and but they just your,
0: thought, and your work at target was distinct i mean that design showed that you could differentiate a company by the design and experience that they have when they go into the shop e- even when it isn't like a let's say, a high-end brand that that that's, that's all about designer. It's still design, but it's design for everyone, let's say, or something like yeah,
2: that. Yeah, exactly. Well, Target was always trying to be different. Mm-hmm. Just, they had to be preferred, mm-hmm. which was different and better. Mm. Now, you can have different merchandise, but that doesn't sure. mean you better. You're just not competing with Walmart. That was our big competitor. Right. And the way to be different and better was to do something original. And so we partnered with an architect named Michael Graves, was had done beautiful buildings and products for an Italian company called Lessee. And we did this amazing line of home products and we launched with 140 items. And we launched at the Whitney Museum in New York and Target didn't even have stores in New York or the Northeast Hmm. yet. And it was one of these moments in the industry that captured people's attention. And so Mickey Drexler was on Apple's board at the time. I think he probably had input into, you should find out who's doing that work at Target. There were a lot of people at Target doing great work, but the work I did kind of stood out, I think. What was your reaction when they get that first call? Well, I was kind of like, why would I do this? Target's this great company. Apple's losing money.
1: Yeah. How did you you answer that question? I mean, that's a great question. How'd you answer it?
2: But the thing about Target, like many companies, they saw me as being this very good merchant. And I was just doing merchandising over and over again. But I went into retail because I wanted to, Do the whole retail thing. And so this was a chance to start from scratch a retail chain for a great brand. And I had this confidence because if I could make Michael Graves, who no one's Mm -hmm. heard of, really, help transform Target, imagine having a brand like Apple with their products, how a well-designed retail experience could change that company. And so I was inspired.
0: By the opportunity, by you can build it from the ground up. So I said,
2: why not go out? So they invited me and like, one Monday in November to go meet Steve. That's the first time I met him. I flew out to San Francisco and had a meeting at five o'clock. I remember arriving quarter two, sitting in a chair outside his conference room. On the tables were all these business magazines with him on the cover. So I'm peeking <laughs> at these, and And five o'clock comes and Steve's not there yet. I said, mm. that's all right. And then I'm looking at all of a sudden at about 10 minutes later, I look to my left and I see this knee. I'm coming from Target where people dress up and it's a torn pair of Levi's jeans. And I looked <laughs> up and there's this black t-shirt and I guess that's Steve. <laughs> and we met and we spent, I bet we spent two and a half hours together in a little conference room outside his office. Wow! And it never, it was just like this unbelievable conversation. I love talking to him. I was inspired by him. I didn't know much about him, but he was absolutely the smartest person I met. And at Target, whenever I wanted to innovate, I had to push really hard because it was way beyond what Target was comfortable with. It was the opposite with Steve. Whatever I thought. You're pushing an open door. No, and he's taking whatever I'm thinking about to the next level. And I was Mm. very inspired. And so we, we chatted for a long time. And then he said, Ron, I really like you. Why don't we do this? Why don't you come back in a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving? We'll meet again. But if you could do one assignment for me, I'd like you to... Right up for me. If I gave you this job, what you would do? How would you approach it? I said I can do that. And he just—he'll send me an email. I don't have an email.
1: No way. That's <laughs> this is
2: two thousand. Now Target didn't have email.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. No one. But we didn't free, have yeah. an email when talking to Steve Jobs for the job at Apple. That's a great moment. I didn't have a computer. No one did. That, that no, is a see, bit unthinkable, though. It's still a bit unthinkable what you just no, said. It right? is.
2: And so Steve said he was like, "I'll send you a computer." He goes, you should get to Mac anyway. So That's they great. sent me a computer. I just set it up. I typed up something on whatever it was at the time. It wasn't pages, whatever Apple was using. You could probably know Jeremy. And then, so I sent it to him. Then I went back two weeks later on a Monday night. And Steve had set up for me to meet other members of the executive team. And so I met, well, Mickey Drexler. I saw him in his office. I met Phil Schiller and Tim Cook and a lot of people we know today. Yes. And then at five o'clock, I met Steve again. And I said, so what do you think of my little Mm write-up? He goes, not very much, but I'm going to offer you the job anyway. So let me tell you about it. And so literally, he offered me the job the second, third hour I ever met him. And it was a really generous offer. And I was going to join the executive team at Apple. And so I said, give me a month. I'll think about it and make a decision. And that was kind of it. But it was really, you remember, you always remember the first time you meet somebody.
0: Well, that's what I want to go back to. Yeah. So so you have that very first moment, but then you have this two and a half hour meeting, and you said you loved that conversation. But if we were fly on the wall for that conversation, what was discussed? What do you remember from it? Any specifics?
2: It was just wide ranging. But I remember at one point saying to Steve, we were talking about store size. And I said, well how big do you think the store should be? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, I've always felt the size of the brand correlates with the size of the store. A lot Hmm. of these computer stores are really tiny because the products are small. You don't have many, but that makes you think it's a small idea. Hmm. And I said, you're on the board of The Gap. The Gap feels like the right size store. He goes, I like that. I said, so how many products do we have? I didn't know Apple's product lineup. He said, we've got four.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I'll show them to you. So
2: he walked me down to the boardroom And on this little table were two pro computers, a desktop Mm -hmm. and a portable, and two consumer desktop Mm -hmm. and a portable. And that was it. And I said, Well, we've got 32 square feet needed to merchandise our products. That leaves us 4,968 square feet of space to create a great experience.
1: And did you think that immediately?
2: Yeah, right away. Yeah. Because that's as a merchant, you're always thinking through presentation of a product and then. What's around it? And I said, this and he, but he loved that. He wasn't intimidated by the fact that he had very few products. And we reached, we talked about things. I said, well, what if we devoted half the store to service? Our goal is to reach out to new customers, expand market share. He had this great phrase five down, 95 to go. We have five mm-hmm. market share. We're building stores to get the next 95. I love that. That you know, Steve's <laughs> idea. And so we're going to reach out to 95. Well, if you're going to get someone to switch to Apple, which is expensive and unusual, and that's a big move for somebody, you got to stand behind the product. And I said to Steve, the best stores are intuitive. You just understand them from the moment you walk in. And he would immediately embrace that, being a purist in design. And I said, let's devote half the space to owners and half to new customers, Right, And that kind of set up the whole, but we talked, we just talked effortlessly about store design, location, movies, people, life.
0: I mean, it was just a fun conversation. What did you talk about with life? Do you remember?
2: Not that conversation, but let me move to the next one then. Uh, Another idea. So so now I I decided to join Apple and I started February, like a couple months later, and I came out for my first day at work and I go to check in at the lobby at, building one infinite loop. I'm always early. I'm an early guy. And I go, I'm here. I'm uh, new employee, Ron Johnson. And the guy looks down and says, there's no Ron Johnson starting today. We have five people starting. You're not starting. I. <laughs> well, I think I have an ET meeting because I have an ET meeting on the executive team, but you're not on here because I've got A, B, C. Goes. I've got a John Bruce starting. And I go to myself, wait, my name's Ronald Bruce Johnson. Oh, Steve sometimes makes code names for people. <laughs> My first day, I've got a code name. Now, I'm a pretty well known retail guy, and he's trying to hide me because he doesn't want people to know he's going to open stores. But so I went up really? to get our ET meeting, and then ET's done. I was very quiet. I was just listening. It's like three hour meeting.
1: Did you introduce yourself as John Bruce, by the way?
0: I should have. I don't think I did. Yeah. <laughs> so this good... is your first executive meeting. You've met them individually, but now the, now you're seeing them. I met most in of them. Yeah,
2: I sat there, and I was kind of a bump on the log because I. Sure. It was, I mean, it was like a new language to me. The whole, everything. They were talking about operating systems and OS X and chips and a level of detail that I wouldn't have been aware of not being an Apple guy, a tech guy. It's just not your background. Not
1: not having an email account.
2: No, so so then at the end of the meeting, I go back to my office. I'm by myself. What do I do the rest of my life at Apple? I get this call from Steve's assistant, Andrea. Can you come down? Steve would like to see you. And his office was, I'd walk by Tim Cook and then Steve. I think that was kind of the sequence. So I, I went to see Steve and he goes, Ron, he goes, are you excited to be here? I said, yeah, I'm real excited. And he said, great. He said, what time do your kids go to bed? I said, eight o'clock. He said, good, can I call you? I said, sure. He said, every day. I said, okay, sure. I said, five days a week or seven? He said, seven. I said, okay. But he said, the reason I want to call you, he said, I have a handful of people I am very close to at Apple that I work with. And I want them to know how I think Mm -hmm. about everything. And so when we chat, we're going to talk about our personal lives, our work lives, movies. Because I'm not into sports, but we'll talk about all that stuff. And he said, but then within a year, you will be free as a butterfly to do whatever you want at Apple. And the only time you have to come to me if you don't know how I think about something.
0: That is interesting. So he but committed it's, all it's this serious day. empowerment. That's what he's and really he, going for here.
2: The best delegator. It's so counterintuitive. You hear Steve was, he, and he was involved with it. He loved the big picture and all the details. But he was by far the best delegator I've ever seen. But you know, wait, did, he,
1: did he call you after bedtime?
2: He well, called after, well, I got, no, after eight o'clock every day. Phone and rang <laughs> every night at eight o'clock. I mean, I'm sure there are nights that were missed, but I'd say the majority of the nights for the next year. Steve would call and a lot of times it'd be just hi. I felt like an eighth grade girlfriend. It was bringing me back to when I was getting on the phone and doing that. And but we would just talk.
0: And so he wouldn't I, I would have an agenda. That, he wouldn't be saying, "Hey, here are the he three things no I want to talk no. about." Just no, but we talked
2: about. We talked about. He'd he'd to me on Apple things. He says, "Let me tell you some things I'm thinking about at Apple," or things we talked about at the ET meeting and blah blah blah. So we, I bet half was Apple, half was personal most of the conversation last 30 minutes. They weren't super long, but it wasn't five minutes. It was an investment. I was just so impressed with all that he had going on that he committed that time to get to know me, but it was how he created leverage because where he wanted to spend his time was on the products, the marketing. That's where Steve's true passion was. He delegated other things. Now, he loved the stores. He loved helping design some of the stores. Had great passion for it. But he didn't want to get involved with the details. He just didn't have time. So I was one of the lucky ones, probably like Tim Cook and a few others, who got to work with Steve without a lot of Steve oversight. I was getting a lot of personal freedom with my team to do what we believe was right. And it got to a point, my last year's, I mean, every six months, I'd see Steve every week at executive team, and i talked talk to him all the time. But I'd say, Steve, can you come over? I want to show you some of the stores we're going to build. Mm-hmm. And we'd set up a room with models of 20 stores around the world, or 15 mm-hmm. stores. And he just loved to look at them and get into the details. But he truly was a great delegator.
0: So I want to riff on this for a second. So the book that people most cite when they're thinking of Steve is the Isaacson biography. But there's another biography called Becoming Steve Jobs. And let me just ask: Were you involved in either of those projects? Were you interviewed by either? Of I was those interviewed bosses? by Walter
2: for. I was interviewed by Walter for his book.
0: For his book, I don't I'm believe late. I was. No, I don't
2: believe so. Well,
0: the reason I ask is because in the second book, you get a sense of the journey that Steve went on while he's gone. At next, this ten-year yeah. journey, longer than many people imagine, and the change. Between this sort of, let's say he's a visionary startup at first, but some of the criticism that's in the press about how he handles people and how harsh he is on everything, and this idea that he actually transforms, he becomes a different leader. Not that he's a perfect leader afterwards, but that he is materially different, and it's been always my position that the media never caught up on the change. And so they're still imagining him as just a, like, hey, well, he's kind of a jerk. That's it. That's the story. Uh-huh. But when, in all the work I've done at Apple and all the executives I've worked with personally, like, that's not the story. It's not that he couldn't be harsher. It couldn't be, he was certainly seeking clarity. But this idea of like, yeah, you don't do the best work of your life for just someone who's a tyrant. Like, that's not yeah. the reality behind Steve it. Was not, Steve was
2: not was not a tyrant at all. He had such passion for mm. people and products, he loved his family. Mm. He loved the people he was close to. He had a relatively small number of people he was close to. And there were people he was a lot closer to than me, mm. like Johnny and Bill Johnny Campbell. M. And I was one of the ones. We were very close, I think, but mm. I wasn't in that super tight. I don't uh, pretend to be. But yes, we had a great relationship. But what Steve had <clears throat> was the highest standards of anybody you'd ever meet. And he wanted you to be your best, and he actually got most people to be better than they would be on their own.
0: You and a tyrant doesn't achieve that. No tyrant. That. does. No. That.
2: No. And we were inspired. We were all inspired to try to meet or exceed Steve's high standards. Mm-hmm. I wanted
1: to ask about the yeah. standard piece, Ron. I don't know if one of your one of your memories involves a Steve standard, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear a practical example of when you say he had higher standards than we had for ourselves, is there a time where you remember him raising the bar for you?
2: Every meeting with him, every meeting. So when we launched the store, so we leased this warehouse about two miles from campus and we built out a prototype of a store. At that time I'd meet every Tuesday morning with Steve at nine o'clock till noon. And he would want me, because he didn't have a cell phone, I would uh, go to his office. He would drive over in his car and we'd talk all the way over. And then we'd have our little retail walkthrough. And every week we would change the store Mm -hmm. and we would have things we looked at. Window displays, graphic panels, lighting, store design, fixtures, and every little detail you looked at, he would get into the details and he would try. So every time it's like, Mm -hmm. how do we make this so good that Steve... Just looks at it and says, That's great. But you uh-huh. could never do it. He always had a way to make it better. And the input was exceptional. It wasn't like just a different opinion, it was a better opinion. For right? example, yeah, everything, every little thing. You look at a window display and, you know, what that's going to communicate I photos, And he stares at it and he quickly reads, he goes, What if he did this? And you go, Ah, it would be better if we did that. And then we mm. do that for the next week. So he just had a an uncanny intuition about design or creativity or marketing that he saw the world differently. And I got to learn from that, which was a wonderful thing, but there, there were a lot of interest. So I'll tell you another story that kind of relates to what you're asking about. About nine months after I started, Steve was starting, we were building out apps. A guy named Sina C- Tomadden was on the ET, a great leader. And he had done the first app, which was iMovie. It was really the first app Apple did. And then iTunes, which was our music app, which kind of connected with the iPod. And then we were creating a photo application, right? And Steve was super excited about these and they were gonna be announced, I think one of them at the next Mac world in January. And I was just sitting there listening. I called one of our eight o'clock calls like on a Friday night. I said to Steve, I've been thinking about this. The Mac is kind of like the computers at the center of your digital universe. And I explained this thing that, you know, like the computer's here, but we connect our camera with an app and there's this, and you connect this and that. And he goes, can you send me an email with that? I said, sure. And I wrote him a little note, what I we talked about. And the next week we get into the ET meeting. He goes, he stands up and he walks in late and he goes to the chalkboard or whiteboard and he says, let me tell you, I've got the future of the Mac hmm. and I'm going to announce it at Macworld. And he goes, hmm. it's called the digital hub. You might remember that, the digital hub, the yeah, Macworld, the hub. I call it a universe or whatever it is, but mm. it's this hub. And so he went through that and I was it was great. The team loved it. The whole ET did. We kind of all bought into it. So the next morning though was my retail day. So I stopped by his office in the morning and I said, Steve, I've been thinking if you really like this digital hub, which I think is great, we've got to change the store design. Because our store's gonna open in January when you announce the digital hub and our store is built around products. It's got to be built around what you do. Photos mm-hmm. and movies and music. We're going to change this. <clears throat> he looked at me, and he was so upset. He That's said, tough. Ron, do you know I've spent now, at that, that time it was probably nine months with you every Tuesday, helping design this first store. And it's being built as we speak. But this is like starting over. Do you know what a big deal this is? Because I don't know if I have the energy to do this. That's so one of those <laughs> moments. And I looked at him and I said, okay, so let's get over there. Mm-hmm. And he says, but don't say a word about this to anybody, because I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I said, That's it's okay. okay. So we get in his car and it not a word said for this 10-minute ride over. Oh, itself. this is a very awkward. This is a very awkward drive. Well, it was a quiet drive.
1: <laughs> oh, in, a, in, in the eighth grade kind of dating relationship, sometimes there are awkward drives. It's that, perfectly.
2: It's that silence that you want to break, but you know you probably shouldn't. Yeah. So we get there, we get out of the car, it's still silent. We walk in and all these, probably 25 people are sitting there and the store is set up, looking really ready to go, it's perfect. And Steve comes, walks in, he goes, well, Ron came to me today And told me, our store's all wrong. And he's right. (laughs) So I'm going to leave now, and he's going to tell you how you're going to redesign the store. Mm -hmm. And he walked out. That was it. So he went from, what the heck are you talking about, to processing this. And I'm standing all alone, and my team's looking there going, what just happened? But then that night when he called me at 8 o'clock, he said, I realized on the car ride over, as much as I didn't want to redo the store... Every great movie we've done at Pixar, we get down to the end and we're three months from release, <laughs> we realize there's a better ending. And you have to have the courage to give up what's very good to do what's great. Yeah, that's a great story. Wow. So that was kind of the story there. And he said, it doesn't matter if we open our store in January, February, March, we're going to open it once. We got to open it right. So thank you for bringing that up. That was and so that was Steve. Steve. So obviously, what it, that shows, though, he's he wants you to be direct. He wants you to share ideas. He might react pretty harshly at first for a variety of reasons, but he processes quickly. I had that when I called him up about the Genius Bar. I remember calling up. A, I called him one day and I wanted to make service the feature of the stores. And I said, "We're going to create a place, Steve. Imagine this. Everyone else that has other companies that do service, they hide it." They don't want you to ever think when you're buying a product that it might not work. Mm. And a oh, computer would put it in a separate room, maybe mm-hmm. another building. And mm. I said, let's put ours in the center of the store. Let's make it a big deal. And imagine if getting help at a bar. Let's make a bar. When you think of a bar, you think of a bartender. And they can make any drink on the planet. And they remember my name. And they're friendly. You're just really comfortable at the bar. Support for your computer that felt like you are at the nicest bar with a bartender and we're going to call it the genius bar and we're going to put the smartest apple people in every city behind that bar and he looked at me and goes you had me until you you don't realize ron you don't know technology there's nobody who knows computers who can talk to people they're all geeks
3: <laughs> and he said they
2: really are and he said if you want to call it the geek bar maybe that makes sense mm. i go I said, hey, Steve, I think you're wrong. We're not, Retailers are young people, young people that grew up, they know computers. You you know all the geeks because mm-hmm. you're older, we're older. Mm-hmm. And five minutes, literally 30 minutes later, Nancy Hine and the general counsel at the time calls me up and says, Ron, can you tell me about Genius Bar? Steve wants me to trademark this name, Genius Bar. <clears throat> it's you know, literally in five minutes from bad idea to great idea. And that's just Steve.
0: Yeah, but there's, I mean, Tim Cook's talked about that, about how that's sort of a genius thing that he can do, that he would come fighting, arguing for one idea day one. Day two, he's arguing the exact opposite as if he never held the previous opinion. And he thinks, describes that as a gift. Here's what it seems to me is that it's about clarity. That at any given moment, you know what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. No, this is a problem. This is how it feels. No, you're right. I'm wrong. Let's move forward. That there isn't this endless ambiguity that makes up for so much of the communication, especially in corporations where everyone's sort of trying to, they'll use jargon and try to sort of don't play your cards too early because you might be wrong and then you look stupid. It's like he he removed that in one sense from these communications that he's having with you. What am I getting wrong?
2: No, you got it exactly right. Now, Steve loved to play both sides of it, argue both sides of any problem you have. But then mm. he'd end every conversation. He'd end. It was really interesting that we'd spend an hour debating what do we do here. And then he'd end with, he'd say, Now let's walk through the logic tree one more time, mm. whatever we agree to. And he'd say, Here's the problem. Here's the solution. To, and it all would make sense. So he loved to debate things and he would go until he was done. There was never a clock on a Steve meeting. Now it goes mm. as long as it needs to. It was done when it was done.
0: What is one thing that stood out to you in this conversation with Ron Johnson? What is one thing that you can do differently, immediately, right now, because of the conversation? And who is someone that you can share this episode with so that the conversation continues now that this episode is over? Thank you for listening, really. I'll see you next time.